The great society rests on abundance and liberty for all. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, I'm Chris Fox with Chase Millsap, and we are Veterans for Liberty. This is the second episode of the Profiles of Liberty podcast. We've got a very special guest, former Green Beret Staff Sergeant Nate Boyer. He also played in the NFL for the Seattle Seahawks, and today he is championing all sorts of great causes as a veteran and an extraordinary citizen. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Nate. Thank you. Thanks for meeting up with us tonight. Of course. So My pleasure. <laughs> So we want to have you tell your story, uh, I guess a brief rundown of how you came to be uh, Green Beret, prior to that, your experience in Darfur and how that came to be. Okay. So I so guess... Was it right after high school or... No, 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 no. So it was, I, I'm, I just turned 35, so I graduated high school in 99 actually, and I moved to San Diego and worked on a fishing boat for a bit and did some other odd jobs, didn't go to school right away. And then I actually came up to Los Angeles for a few years and I wanted to work in the film industry. And I was actually working with autistic kids for, that was my job, make money. And that was very interesting and different. So that was probably the first time in my life I got some real different perspective on how different people see the world. And it was pretty unique, I think. And then, you know, 9-11 happened and I didn't join right away, but it kind of got me thinking, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, I was, so I was 20 years old and, you know, everything when you're 20, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Got it all figured out. And and I don't know, living in a town like this too, when you're pretty impressionable and not uh, very worldly, there's a, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of opinions uh, coming out of this town with not a lot of education behind it. And, and people that sound smart, I just assumed were smart, I think. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I just really wasn't that patriotic because of buying into a lot of what people were saying about, oh, you know, we shouldn't be going to Iraq, we shouldn't be doing this and that and blood for oil, George Bush is the devil and all that shit. It's not that I just bought all of it. But at the same time, if facts or, I guess, information is presented to you in a certain way and someone's passionate about what they believe or whatever and you don't know much about it, it's easy to be like, wow, I guess that probably is true. That's I never thought of it that way. That, but I, at the same time, I, I was living here and I wasn't thrilled about my life here because I didn't know what I really wanted. And I, I was missing that adventure and feeling like a man and feeling like what I was doing was something that really mattered, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was backpack. I'd go to Europe for like a month and just bum around on the trains and just check things out. Every time I went, I wanted to go somewhere, you know, a little more exotic and wild, but I had no purpose behind why I was going except for to just see things. And were you going solo or did you have a group of friends that you took with solo, you? Solo, yeah. I, I, I would occasionally, like, link up with people I knew over there, but mm-hmm. no, nah, totally by myself. I preferred that because, yeah. you know, you make your own schedule. I, I did it a couple times, then I came back. I was 23. You know, I think we were just starting to – we were just invading Iraq, really. I, I, you know, so I was just like, man, a lot of people are joining. Maybe this is the time. Maybe this is it, but – Still, I'm like, what? Why? Why would I join though? I don't even. I want to go to war for the experience, but I don't know if it's not so you felt where I'm supposed to be. To go, but you didn't I, I felt, why. yeah, I felt compelled and interested in in being there, but I didn't know at what capacity. I didn't necessarily want to just go shoot people, uh, and because I didn't have a reason behind it yet, because I didn't, I just didn't have a lot of pride in what we were doing necessarily. Cause I didn't know. And then a Time Magazine article came across my eyes, and it was about the, the cover story was tragedy in Sudan. And then I, it was a photojournalism article, and the images were just unbelievably graphic. Yeah, it just hit me like nothing really had before, and I just felt like I needed to be there and go and, and help out in any way. You know, I had no idea what that looked like, but I just knew I, I had to be there. 
And so I started calling all these NGOs like Doctors Without Borders and Catholic Relief Services and, you know, the ones that were there, even through the UN. And everyone just told me, no, you can't go. You don't have a degree. You don't have any special skills. Like, and I'm like, I fly myself there. I'll pay for everything. I just want to help out. There's got to be something I can do, like manual labor. I mean, I was reading about how the refugee camps are all women and children. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the men are all fighting or dead already. The women have all, well, not all, but many of them have been raped, you know, and the kids, many of them have been maimed or taken as child soldiers and all kinds of stuff like that and so had you been ever been in a situation like no, that before not even just close. complete chaos i'd never been to the developing world i've never been to a place with such a different culture or the muslim world even nothing i mean like just really just europe and central america you, you know might what as I mean? well have been outer space at that point yeah right? seriously nice but i just was like i had to i just knew i had to go so i went over there i just bought a ticket somehow i got a visa i don't know why they gave me a visa but they did so where did you fly? You were probably the only one coming in. Probably, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no one was applying for one. I, I'm sure I've just, but I was flying to Chad, the neighboring country, Sudan. Yeah. But Chad is where all the camps were, all the refugee camps are. They're just across the border. Yeah, I just went to AAA in Burbank actually, and <laughs> bought a plane <laughs> ticket, wow. and then like nice. left like a week later. Just told my folks like I'm going to Africa. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know, this is, I mean, I had a cell phone and stuff. This is before I didn't have an email address. Yeah, and you're off the grid. Even so, when yeah. you're over there, there's, there's, yeah, there's no Facebook yet. And there was definitely no way to contact anyway, even if you had that crap. So yeah, I just went, flew over there and was just like culture shock. You know, I, I, I tried to dress as modest as I could. I only brought essentials. I just had like a little, you know, a small bag. That was it. Uh, just because I wanted to be able to travel light. Do you know where you were going to go when you got there? You just yeah. Started? I studied as much as I could on at the library, actually, on the internet, just like where these camps were and how to get there. And so I figured if I just get to the capital, I'm there already. They have to utilize me. And uh, that was not their thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so I pretty much just talked my way on to a manifest to get onto that UN flight. I told them I was with X organization and I, I was robbed in Paris and lost all my documentation and all this crap. Wow. They just bought it. Flew so over there. Realizing awesome. seer skills before. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, no, this is why after I got, I didn't even know what a Green Beret really did. You know, I thought that was John Rambo or John Wayne. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't, uh, I didn't understand. Both great examples. No, there's a good amount of them, you know. A few. I'm pretty sure uh, either Zac Efron or uh, Channing Tatum played one in, one in some love story <laughs> movie too. But I just made it happen, however. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I made mission. And ended up, you know, working at the camps for over a month really and it was just mostly what i was doing i was i was you know helping out in the medical centers you know helping build up some of the campsites and stuff like that and just do some of the manual labor like i figured i would but more than anything i just was playing with kids there's so i was playing soccer with them i was doing whatever there's just all these little boys and some of them are pretty banged up you know yeah and there's no father figure there's no dads there's no that was kind of i mean the, the skills i utilized from working with autistic kids where you don't have that language and you have to just kind of figure it out i just kind of used it with that and ended up I was a big hit over there, you know. I had this big red beard, and mm. I was the only American around, so uh, they thought it was great, and I I thought it was great because for the first time in my life, I felt like purposeful. And then it was great. I just like felt like that was my calling. It was time to go home. You know, my visa's running out. I got to get back, and I'm back in the capital, about ready to fly back, and I'm just starting to think like, what am I going to do now? Like, I can't just I'm not just going to go back to LA and continue that. It's going to drive me nuts. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about what you know, Peace Corps, and then I was like, no, I don't want to be part of the Peace Corps, like. These people need so much more than just, they can't, it's not just handouts. It's like, you know, education, it's empowerment. It's a lot of things. You know, for me, I just felt like they were people worth fighting for, you know? And I remember listening to Fallujah go down in the little tent I was staying in, like my last few days there. 
that was just kind of like another sign, I guess you would call it. That maybe that's what I should look into. So I got back to the States. You know, I didn't immediately go to the recruiter or anything, but I came across another magazine article actually, and it was had was about the talking about the special forces, special forces on the cover, and a guy like air assaulting out of a helicopter yeah. or something. And I like flipping through, started reading about what they actually do and how they work with indigenous forces and how everything was by with and through local nationals and all that just was like really appealing to me because this is sort of what I was doing there. I mean, I didn't have a gun or anything, but everything I'd done in that dark first situation seemed like it was very similar, you know, and I, and I liked the idea of, you know, fighting for those that can't fight for themselves and, and also training and sort of living and working alongside them on a daily basis. As frustrating as that can be, I learned that in the Darfur can be frustrating and even more frustrating in Iraq and Afghanistan down the road, but still, I think it's worth it. I, I hope for the stability of what we have back here too. I mean, I think education and training and our presence there makes a difference. Maybe ISIS is a great example of that. Once we leave a place, the, the job's not done yet. So yeah, I came. So I, so I so I figured that's what I wanted to do. I went to the recruiter, heard about this 18 X-ray program. Come off the street and, and uh, at least go to selection after you went to basic and airborne. Uh, if you pass certain uh, mental and physical tests that weren't that hard. So for those that don't know, the yeah, 18 X-ray program was relatively new at the time, right? Yeah, I think it started in 04 or three or 04. Typically, the way it works is you're in the regular army for at least two years, and then you can apply to go to selection. That's kind of traditionally. This, that's traditionally, yeah. And they changed it because they wanted to bolster the unit. There was a lot of guys overseas. They were losing some guys, and at the same time, they were they had this idea that they were going to build an extra battalion in each of these groups. And so they wanted to bring in new guys, and they they'd done it in the past. The SF it was called the SF Baby Program uh, back in the day. That's not what it was. It's not actual, the official name. Yeah, it's not the official name, but that was just just after Vietnam, I believe, because the same type. Of, they lost a lot of guys in Vietnam, you know, and then guys came back from war, and they're like, "I'm out, I'm done." Crazy ops <laughs> tempo. They don't want to. Yeah, keep yeah. It also kind of you know attracts guys like yourself, you know, that have had life experiences, right. or yeah. maybe they just don't want to go to college or join the regular army or wait a couple of years. They're like, no, I want to get into it right now. You know, I know what I want to it's do. It's a Let's different it. guy. You know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons like anything in life. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of those guys or a lot of us, I should say, uh, think outside the box. Don't think like a typical soldier all the time. But also, you know, a lot of them don't understand the value of team, teamwork's uh, rank structure, how that stuff, ha how things have to go in order to work right, with large masses of people. Because even in the special forces, yeah, you're you're a, you're a twelve man team, but you're working with hundreds of local nationals, and you you have to do things. There has to be so much structure, or it's just going to fall apart. And so, yeah, like I said, pros and cons to that. Yeah. But uh, the military liked the idea of just yeah, bringing in some new blood with some different thinking and. And you had already prior experience of, of traveling across the world with limited tools at your disposal and getting the mission done, like you said. So same yeah. idea. Yeah, like driving your way onto aircraft. You've got some valid real-world experience. Right, and it was all pretty new. I mean, that wasn't. Yeah. I didn't have that the whole time, but I gained so much confidence and patriotism and pride for my country and what how those people viewed me, even though I'd done nothing, you know, and I'm I'm back here just screwing around and living in LA not doing that much and, and they just thought I was amazing because of, I was an American you know and what we stood for and that just made me feel proud you know what I mean even though I had done nothing to deserve that <laughs> I just was born here uh, I was really proud to be a part of that and I wanted to do something to sort of earn my Americanism I guess <laughs> well let's talk about your military experience a little bit so I know that you've deployed at least once because I was with you um, in the summer Just of thrice. 2014, so right. three times you've been overseas, yep. and was that Afghanistan each time? Iraq once and Afghanistan twice, yep. Can you tell us about your experiences there a little bit? Yeah, um, I went to Iraq in 08, 
that was you your first appointment as a green, green first right yeah and you're an 18 echo mm-hmm. so you're, you're the exactly. camo sergeant camo guy okay. yeah we were in Najaf. Okay. Or Nejif. Yeah, I was already at the same time. Okay. So and and, and Chase was a Marine at the time. Yeah. yeah. In Najaf, the year before we got there in 07, there was a huge firefight. Oh, yeah. The Marines were involved in yeah. Najaf. There's a lot of stuff going on at the same time. It's there. the biggest cemetery in the world. It's the Shiite Holy City. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting place, to say the least. And uh, it was also uh, sort of a safe haven for cell leaders for the Jaysh al-Mahdi and... Uh, other terrorist groups, small, smaller factions and whatnot. So there was a lot of red tape there. There was a lot of, at that time, there was provincial control. So we had to get the governor's approval to run missions and stuff like that, especially in a place like that. Because one night we actually, you know, we put a door charge on this place and we were, you know, there was kids in there and family and all that. And, you know, so we tiptoed around that situation, ended up getting into it a little bit. And then one of the guys just jumped off the roof and he happened to be like, the nephew of some grand ayatollah and it's just this big everybody freaks out then we're you know operations are shut down for a week and jumps off the roof he what does it mean he committed suicide well he didn't die he jumped three stories and just destroyed he He probably died later honestly because yeah he was trying to run away he thought we were going to shoot him no question and there because there was people shooting guns in the area and there was other stuff going on it was you know they're up on the rooftop we don't know who's where these muzzle flashes are coming who's coming where they're coming from we know they're not our guys but it could be the you know the Iraqi SWAT team we were working with. I, I, it was he, just it was a mess. Yeah. And so, but this guy freaked out and Peter panned off this building and did not <laughs> land softly. On he landed on cement and you know he shattered his legs and hips and whatnot. And mm. but yeah, it became a big deal because of that. So when I get into red, you know, talking about the red tape, it was just like that just halted Major things reaction. once again. Yeah, That's what we deal with right exactly. And I understand it because. They freak out. I mean, they're uh, talking about the very unstable government of Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever you out you're at when something like that happens because they don't have that separation of church and state like we do. So exactly, the, the, yeah. the, the church is the state. Yeah. <laughs> and so when stuff happens, or the state is the church, or the state is the church. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, yeah. So that that stuff can just be frustrating, you know. But I felt that I mean that was a that was a that was a different mission. There was everything was very is very controlled, but at the same time we did. And we did capture uh, the number two and number three guys on the most wanted list, like in the same week, because that was a nice. big safe haven, you know. So you're fighting, you know, both sides of it, really. You know, you're doing just like you said, you're going after the bad guys, but you're also kind of setting it up where you got to know which missions to go on and really sell it. Yeah, because you're only going to get so many shots. Exactly, and if tape. you screw up one, you're done. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, you shoot the wrong guy, you you capture the wrong guy. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really. It's whatever. Yeah, so that one was a little different than it is. Afghanistan's a totally different war, totally different mission. But you know, I was only on one deployment in Iraq, so I can't really say I'm an, I'm not an expert in either. You know, there's sure. there's I've met guys that have had ten deployments, and so mm-hmm. they know a lot more than I do about yeah. the differences between the two. And so you've you know now that you've kind of been back and can kind of reflect on this, you've talked about sort of the idea of post traumatic growth. Yeah. And it's not, I didn't make it up. Different. Yeah. But it's a, you know, it's a, it's a thing. Yeah. It exists. And it's one of those things that, you know, especially within our community, it's like, okay, I've had these amazing experiences. I've, I've seen somebody jump off of, you know, three story <laughs> roof and land on their feet. And you're like, okay. Kind of. Right. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yes, but not, he didn't stick the landing. Right. Say that. He didn't peel off no, on that one. No. It wasn't, <laughs> not, Mary, not it wasn't, it wasn't Mary Lou Retton in the no. uh, 84 Olympic games or whatever. You, you've had these experiences not just in the military, but in life in general. And you, you've had these experiences overseas, you know, in Darfur and then through your deployments. And you talk a little bit now that you've been home about post-traumatic growth. Mm. 
the idea of, okay, I've, I've seen these things. What can I learn from them? What can I do better from them? How did you rationalize, internalize, and kind of just come to understand what, what your experience was? That's a great question. I don't know if it's a great question. It's a hard one to answer. It's a hard, yeah. <laughs> well, it might I, be a terrible question. It's a question because I'm like answering it for myself. I'm like, I don't know either. <laughs> how do you rationalize? I don't know. I don't know how I rationalize anything that I do. But I do know that through my experiences, both good, bad, and different, and, you know, surviving stuff and going through stuff and losing friends and, you know, being disappointed, being excited, happy, all that stuff. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting how different people process it, you know. Yeah. People kind of make a choice, I think, sometimes. And I know they say that that stuff, you, you know, you can't help how it affects you necessarily. But I, I think I disagree with some of that. I think that because I've seen people change. I've seen people that were in a bad place. One day, just said, made the decision like, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. This is just, yeah, there's you're, just you're no reason. I, I yeah. think that you, you can't help necessarily that it affects you, but you can absolutely change yeah. the way it affects your life. And, and there's and, different, and what you allow it to do. It's a broad spectrum. There's yeah. different, there's different uh, degrees of that. And obviously, what you've experienced varies drastically. You know, sure. I mean, I've heard stories of, of things that, you know, happened in front of guys' eyes that didn't happen in front of my eyes. Yeah, and you, you know were just I mean? at the premiere for 13 hours, and that right. was an intense exactly. battle. I just watched that on, on yeah. Tuesday as well. But that is something yeah. else. That's a different level. Totally. And just the, I mean, just imagine the amount. Those guys had to, every one of those guys involved had to think probably multiple times throughout the day, like, I'm going to die today. No question. Yeah. Uh, no question. Not that, like, we've all had that fleeting, everybody that's been in a firefighter has probably had that fleeting thought of, like, you know, a bullet cracks close to you and you're like, wow, that could have killed me. Yeah, but it's like, almost but, yeah. but you're not like, you know, just resolute in the fact that I'm, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to fight to the death, but I'm going to die. Probably. Well, you know, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan too, you know, there's a radio. You can always call back and somebody's there. Right. And for those guys, that just didn't exist. Yeah. That's, where, that that's, that's where that increased fear, I'm sure, came from. I mean, I think that's a lot of the, the issues back here at home with these guys. Not realizing that there is still support, you know, and it doesn't have to always be military and so and in veterans and it doesn't always have to be people even you know it can be something that you're you're passionate about that you're that you're kind of go to that your support or whatever so for me i knew i wanted to go play football you know it was something that i'd never done in my life but i regretted that and so i was like i'm gonna go anything i ever regret i'm gonna go fix you know until the day i die and so that was number one for me just because it was always my favorite sport and i knew it was gonna be an enormous challenge and like I had become this person that just wanted to just attack challenges. They just, I'm drawn to them. You know, I think anybody that works in special operations is obviously in some way drawn to a challenge uh, or we wouldn't do that because it's fully voluntary. It's a special type of, yeah. special personality. Yeah. yeah. You make a choice, you make a choice and, and you make a choice, not only put yourself through intense training and compete and eventually work with the most elite warriors in the world. Beyond that, you know that there's a good there's a good chance you're not going to make it, and then there's also a good chance you're going to go over there and not come back, or you're going to you know lose your friends. I mean, there's just there's so much at risk, and, and you still say yes, you sign up, sign me up for that. Without even I mean, most of us didn't really think about it. Like we kind of knew. I think for a long time that was where we would that where we would end up. You know, whether we made it or not, we've ended up in that course and that you know going after that. You're the same kind of person when you come back home, you know, and that's that's what frustrates me more than anything when when guys come back, you know, as far as with, with, with these vets, you know, they come back and it's like, you know, they're, they're like, okay, I'm not in the military anymore, so that you know, I've lost my identity. I don't know what I am now. I don't, you know, it's like, no, it, it, you, it's as if they're so excited to become civilians that they lose track of, yeah. of what their purpose is and then they, they have none. Yeah. And, and you can make it the, 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 right? the great, the great part about, uh, 
once you're out, you can make you, the mission can be whatever you want. Yeah. So you can totally draw it up on your own. You don't have orders coming down. And maybe that's scary for some people because they're used to that structure or whatever. But I mean, that's a great opportunity. And I believe that you, you know, you're that guy from the beginning in your core. You're that guy that made the decision to go through all that training and to not give up and to make it happen and then to go overseas and fight for your country. Like that's who you are. You're not just a veteran. You're not just a, a, a Green Beret or a, or a combat controller or a SEAL or whatever or an infantryman or whatever. You're not. You're not that. That's not who you are. You, that's part a part of you. But you're that person that made that decision. And so now moving forward in life, that person gets to make another decision and do whatever the hell it is he wants to do. And probably do it at an elite level and probably do it better than a civilian would because of what you've survived and what you've been through. So that's that's post-traumatic growth to me right there. I mean, I think we kind of just circled back to it. But anything I'm interested in now, I, I, I just look into and, and study it. And if it's something that continues to uh, excite me and sort of tug at my my emotional passion or whatever you want to call it, then I'm just then I'm just like, OK, I'm going to go do that and I'm going to go do it than every, better than everybody else. I fail sometimes. I got cut from the NFL. You know, I'm a failure. You know, but what, what am I going to do with that? That's just more room to grow. All that <laughs> is now manure and it's fertilizing <laughs> yeah. the rest of my life. Oh, so. that's a great well, amount of fuel. It's a great right? fuel for the it's next totally day. It's totally fuel. Yeah. yeah. That's oh. what it is. That, that, I mean, that's what the, all that pain and all that stuff. That's just, you just use that as fuel, man. Because we're different than everybody else. We're different yeah. from those guys. They didn't go through what we went through. They don't know. And they think they do sometimes. And it's really funny, but they don't, <laughs> you know, and yeah. you're not going to ever explain it to them. So there's no point in trying. Hey, you can just go out there and show them. So I was trying to rationalize this today and I was just trying to put myself in your shoes for a second and think, okay, I just got out of the Green Berets. I've just been in Afghanistan and now I'm going to walk on and play football, a game that, right. you, you know, you never played before. Right. And in my mind, this was like somewhere between necessary roughness, you know, where they're like, <laughs> yeah. the, the old guy comes in. And, you Scott know, Bakula. And, yeah. Scott Bakula <laughs> comes in and they're, they think you're part of the, you know, you're a coach. And then on the other side is Rudy. You know, with this huge guy, heart and passion, and I'm I'm trying to like, I'm like the truth is somewhere there, in between there. But so there's was, also John Rambo. Exactly, and there's these three <laughs> guys, John Rambo, and you put this together, and you have one the greatest movie ever made. Yeah. But two, oh, like, what was that like on day one, walking in there? Were you scared? Like, what were you even thinking when you stepped foot on that? I mean, I was confident in the fact that I was going to outwork everybody. Like, I knew that, and not just because. I have that mentality, but because these are college kids yeah. and I just got back from five years in the special forces, you know what I mean? So, so I was 29 when I transitioned off active duty uh, into the guard, yeah. 19th group. I was conf- I wasn't confident I was necessarily going to make the team because it's not all up to us. I just was confident in the fact that I was going to do everything I could and, you know, they're going to feel like assholes if they had to cut me. You know, so I'm gonna make sure that, that there's that element uh, because there's some like, wow, that guy just won't stop. You know what I mean? He just shows up every day and he goes hard every day. And I, you know, I was confident in that. I said, if you know what, if there's just no spots available, then I guess it's not for me. But if there's one spot available, I'm gonna be that guy. I'm gonna make that team. You know, I'm just I'm going to. And there was in, in that semester there was two, and so I was one of the two, and so that was that was awesome. I guarantee that both of you guys would have been that same that guy too, just because of where we came from and what we're about. And a college football team and a coaching staff they want that around their they want that in their locker room. You know, whether I ever set foot on the field or not in an actual game, they wanted that. And I think that a lot of it was they were just down to you know to have me be around their their young uh, athletes and motivate them. Yeah, but you were on the field. 
And, and yeah, you, not right away. I didn't play my first year. I redshirted. Okay, but eventually you did, but, and, and you carried the colors on the field too, right? Yeah, I did do that. Every game, I got to carry the, run the flag out of the tunnel, which was awesome. Yeah, I remember the first time doing it. The only, the, everyone was like, what you, what's running through your head when you run the flag out of the tunnel? And eventually it became, every time I'm running out, it's like, you get so wrapped in pregame and your own shit, you know, and worried about, how, you know, I hope I perform well. I don't want to let my guys down. And then I get that flag in my hand. And the flag that I always ran out was actually flown in uh, Basra. And so it was, you know, from Iraq. And then, uh, so then I'm thinking about the guys that are over there right now, hoping they get a night off and they can watch football, you know, yeah, or watch you on AFN. Yeah, exactly. Our forces network, baby plug it. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So they, I'm thinking about those guys and I think about, you know, the guys aren't with us anymore. And, but my first day, the first time doing it, I wasn't thinking about that. I was so terrified. We run out of this like thick smoke. I was like, what if I just eat it and drop this flag, dude? I will never. You can't, you can't come back. No, if this thing touches the ground because of me, like it's, that's it. Yeah. My life is over. So that was my first concern. And you'd be the guy that burned the American flag. Yeah. I'd do it in, and yeah. I'd probably do it right then and there. And they're like, oh my God, they got Mission burning a flag on the field. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been bad. So thank God it didn't fall. But anyway, yeah. So I eventually picked up long snapping and then started for three years mm-hmm. and then got that opportunity with the Seahawks and, you know, didn't, it didn't ultimately work out. But otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here with you, fine gentlemen, having this conversation. <laughs> on a Saturday. Uh, yeah. You are on a Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Let's discuss how we're all connected here, which didn't even occur to me until we started talking about doing this. Nate, you were in Afghanistan the summer of 2014. Summer of 69. <laughs> yeah. Summer. I was actually, uh, actually 20, 2013 and 2014. Okay. 2014 okay. was more fun. 2013, I was there between my sophomore and junior year. And, uh, so you're deploying between years. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, like you let's can't get enough punishment. So here you were. <laughs> Dude, that was in my summer vacation, man. Yeah, exactly. I'm on break. Ty, yeah. Ty, Ty, remember Ty? Yeah. I won't say his last name, but Ty had a great uh, t-shirt. Did you ever see his, his Afghanistan shirt over there? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so I remember. So yeah. for, for those of you that haven't, seen, uh, that haven't seen What About Bob, Bill Murray, the common theme in the movie is Richard Dreyfuss, his therapist, is telling him to take a vacation from his problems. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, you need to take a vacation from your problems. And Ty had this shirt. It's got a big palm tree on it, and it just says Afghanistan. Take a vacation from your problems, <laughs> and it totally beautiful. makes sense. Yeah. It, it's be- it is beautiful because you're over there. You don't have you know all the BS stresses that you deal with living in, especially a town like LA, where it's like, uh, you know, I got deadline for this. I got to make. That, I got to call that guy. I got to pay this bill. I got to do this. It's like your mission is clear and simple. It's difficult. But they're different stresses, and it's a different stress. But I feel like I'm less stressed over there. I swear to God, you know, I, there's like heightened moments, obviously yeah. of stress. But pretty much the rest of the time, it's like you're in the outdoors. It's like so here you were. You, you I, I were you're it, a full time student in your late twenties yeah. at university. You've got kids all around you that are stressed out. With not my kids, well, not your kids, of course. <laughs> the kids to your left and your right in class that are stressed about their assignments they're either stressed out or they just don't care at all either way it's too much it's just too much it's not what it's not what uh yeah it's not it's not what inspires but during the summer when a lot of these guys are and gals are are either on vacation hanging out have fun or on their internships yeah my own afghanistan it's my internship yeah and you go right back to school there's no transition period of military disability you're there and then you're back no yeah like last summer i literally got back a day before training camp started so I like landed, and then in the morning we woke up and checked in for training. Did Somehow. the team know you were doing this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't. I mean, so they don't even want to talk to you. Like they're they're <laughs> looking at you. Like no, the best part is the new freshmen that come in when I'm gone. 
Oh yeah. So then I get back, you know, I get back and I'm like all like ripped up and tan from, you know, you still smell like training. cordite. <laughs> yeah. And all. yeah. I'm just covered in black powder. And <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, just walking through the locker room and they know, I mean, I'm the old guy, the old guy that just showed up. They're just like, Oh, that's the guy everyone's talking, those guys have been talking about, you know, yeah. cause all the other ones are just growing my legend and just freaking out the freshman. <laughs> like, yeah, don't go near his locker. Don't talk to him. Don't look him in the eyes. You know, if he does this, make yourself scarce. Stuff like that. They just, you know, yeah. they go along with it. So it's pretty funny. So I, you know, I'll go back and I'll find out which ones are the most impressionable and gullible and just <laughs> mess with them for as long as I can. We had a guy last year from the team that was a freshman that was, uh, he's from Chinese Taipei originally. And uh, he's a big dude. Though. He looks like he could like you know, sumo wrestle. Mm-hmm. And so his English isn't the, gr- the greatest. And he's also a sweet kid, but just one of the most mature <laughs> dopey kids ever <laughs> and i you could just tell him anything it was good i messed with him for pretty much the entire season yeah you, you tell him to go get uh, grid squares and, and that kind of thing no 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 yeah. not military no military them? pranks no. it was just like uh telling stories that aren't true it's <laughs> just yeah. you know the, the fish just getting bigger and bigger just to see how long he'll and he just keeps believing it you know it's amazing mm. like so. tell him that we have sharknadoes on a regular basis and yeah alone. stuff like that <laughs> So talk about the ninja smoke that we use, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. He's like, no way. So three of us here, Chase, Nate, and I, we're all connected because we're deployed. We were outside of Kabul, and we had two special forces teams. And you, as a guardsman, you were you were augmenting the teams, right? Yeah. Well, actually, it's kind of a Darfur story. Uh, so <laughs> you got yourself over to there. get myself on the deployment. I got a uh, a gentleman that is in SOCOM. A, He's got stars on his uniform. One who is not to be named. Yeah, one who's not to be named. Who he asked me what I wanted to do in my summers when I was in the guard, and I told him I, I want to go to Afghanistan if possible. And he was like, "Done, we'll make it happen." He sent me over on these like little four month deployments, you know. So he's like, "But you know, when you get there, I can send you to a unit, but I can't make any team. You know, you gotta you gotta find a job." That's what I did. So like this last summer, he sent me over there to Commando Soag, where we were at, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was just up to me. Once I, I met the commander on the ground there, he was just like, you could help run our one of our radio programs or help do the you know battle track on the uh, op center and stuff oh, like yeah. that. <laughs> He's like, or you could go introduce yourself to the teams and see if they need help. You know, and I was like, well, that sounds great. So, so, so you got down there. And I, we had, I actually, we had, in the in the had, dining hall the first day, I, I, I introduced myself to... Uh-huh. To, the, the team leaders, yeah, on, the team leader and team sergeant okay. from from one of the teams. Yep, the ones I ended up one I ended up working with the most, uh, the one that ended up, <laughs> the team that ended up liking me. Yeah, and uh, so we had we had two third group teams there. Yeah, uh, at, at that commando spot, right. and one of them, the team sergeant, who ended up taking a liking to you and, and took you out. And we're on a mission together. Took me out to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> we're out to dinner. Take a liking yeah. to you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then he took you out for a firefight. Yeah. There we um, go. But this same team sergeant was also cadre at the Special Forces Qualification course when Chase went through, right? Oh, yeah. So let's just call him Scott. Yeah. Uh, okay. He, uh, his name rhymes with Scott? Yeah. His name <laughs> rhymes with Scott. He was most definitely the guy, the cadre that took care of our squad and put us through the ringer. And going in as an O, let's just say he loved me, too. You know, he really wanted to make sure he took it like a new that my experience took it like a new boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wanted to make sure I got the full special yeah. forces experience. You had to earn it, man. You had to earn you it. You had to earn your. You bread. had to earn it exactly. What's What's so great about him is he's Charlie by heart, right? So he's a demo guy, and we've since become pretty good friends. And he has randomly sent me just weird IED looking 
devices. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, and just, just to be and weird. Just to be weird, like, <laughs> oh, hey, this might explode in there. And you're like, wow. how do you have the time and the patience to do that? And it's just... How does that make it through the mail system? I know. He's, he's how are they not like, that. what is this? Most most of them, I think, you know, were hand-delivered. This is when I was still in, in North oh, Carolina. Okay, gotcha, he would drop gotcha, them off gotcha. my house. Oh, okay. Uh, that or makes or more find... Sense. He would make sure they found their way to me. Okay, that makes um, more sense. <laughs> but... That's it's one stuff, of those things man. you look at and you're like, there's only one person that could have done this. It's Scott. Yeah. You know, maybe they're just pieces to a clock, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, okay. So, Nate, now you're back. We both came back around the same time. I started school. Yeah. You went back to school as well. You, yeah. You finished your last year. Yep. Finished my master's uh, up, actually. That's right. And what was your degree in? My master's was in advertising. No interest in working in advertising. But uh, I actually wanted to take, I wanted to go to film school, but... The graduate program, film program, and playing football, there was just no way. You pretty much are working on projects every weekend in that film mm-hmm. program, and obviously you're playing football every weekend and traveling. And advertising was a little easier, but I did take all my electives I took were film related classes because that's something that I'm, you know, coming back to. Something that I originally wanted to do and I didn't fulfill. Come to fruition, I yes. Yeah. And, and you're back here to make it happen. Town now. Yeah. yeah, so I'm doing a lot of different things, but that's one of them that I still very interested. Okay, and then your other project is Waterboy. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Basically, Chris Long, who plays defensive end for the Rams, yeah, he reached out to me the day after I got cut. I asked me if I'd heard of Waterboys, and I said no. So I looked it up, and waterboys.org is the website. Basically, it's a clean water project started by him and other players in the NFL where they're trying to raise money within the locker room and fan bases to put clean water wells in the ground in Tanzania. Why Tanzania is because... He had a connection with the Goodwill Ambassador of Tanzania, who also lives in Missouri. And he also happens to be Brad Pitt's brother, which is really weird. So he, he asked me if I wanted to be involved somehow, if if I would be an ambassador for them or if I had any ideas of a, something I, I wanted to do. And he said, I know that sounds really vague, <laughs> but I just I saw your story on ESPN and I thought it was amazing, like your service and football and all that. But what struck me as most interesting was the fact that you spent that time in the Darfur way back when. And I thought maybe that Africa connection, you'd like to go back and do something there. And, you know, we could really use your help. So I thought about it. I was actually on a stair climber. And I was clicking through the little programs and Kilimanjaro was one of the options. And I was like, wait, Kilimanjaro is in Tanzania, right? And so I called him back. I said, I got an idea. I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro and I'm going to take a a wounded vet, somebody that's going to be, it's going to be a challenge to, to do this with. So it, it draws interest to the fact that we're climbing because people climb, a lot of people climb Mount Kilimanjaro every year. And it, it is a challenge for anybody, mm-hmm. but it's a big challenge for a guy that's got one leg. And so uh, this guy was a Marine. His first deployment, he took a knee on an IED and uh, lost his leg, almost lost his, he lost his life for, for a time. He actually, he died on the uh, medevac bird and then they, they brought him, you know, they revived him in the, uh, in the hospital there. So, we're going to go climb Kilimanjaro together to, to, to raise money for these wells. And what I think is unique and cool about it is, you know, we're helping one veteran and also inspiring other veterans, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of go after things, do things. But at the same time, uh, we're actually, you know, helping these people that can't help themselves. So it's still a way of serving and fighting uh, without picking up a gun. That's and great. Uh, there's a buddy of mine that it, it does some kind of similar type things and he calls it, I'm stealing his line, but he calls it unarmed forces. And uh, yeah. it's pretty cool, though. Can we give a shout out to him? To oh, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, that's uh, Combat Flip Flops is, okay. is the site. His name's Matt Griffin. He's a ranger. He'd be a great guest on the show, actually. Okay. So you'll have to do that. He's one of those guys that, yeah, he's all about post-traumatic growth. He's a poster child for it, whether he'll admit it or not. Yeah. So. 
Water Boys, you guys are, are climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in yep. February. This yeah, year. day after the Super Bowl, we head out there. You've already raised quite a bit of money for it, right? Over a hundred thousand. Yeah, I think we're at like a hundred and ten uh, confirmed right now. We've got more people that have said they will and haven't yet, but they they will. And I, you know, it's going to be a long term thing, though. I want to eventually. I want to raise a million. I would love to go back uh, or do something similar, another type of challenge with a big group, maybe some veterans and some ex athletes that are kind of going through some of the same transition struggles. You know, I, I, I started another organization with. Uh, with a guy named Jay Glazer, who's on Fox NFL Sunday. He's a football analyst. And the, that program's called Merging Vets and Players. So we're kind of bringing these guys together to walk the walk together. Uh, I think it would be a really cool concept to do that. There's a, there's sort of a mutual respect between combat vets and, and elite athletes. It's kind of interesting. A lot of people will, will sort of wince at that when they're like, oh, those those guys played a sport and made a bunch of money and all that. But uh, There are some parallels. No, there's very many. There's a lot of parallels. Inherent risk, camaraderie. And just the challenge. You know what I mean? Especially for like a special operation, someone that spent time in the special operations or someone that spent time in the NFL. Like you are elite at what you do. And the the amount of sacrifice that goes into getting to that level is huge. You know, you might might not be sacrificing for your country or necessarily your, your life potentially, but it is, it is, there is sacrifice there. And and you, you notice too, when you're around them, it's, it's more the NFL guy that's like, man, I can't compare myself to this dude. This dude fought for his country for not much money. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm just a football player. But but not every NFL player is a millionaire. A lot of them are true. sacrificing. That's true. No, no a lot of them. Careers to yeah. Pursue this. The average NFL lifespan is three years. And mm-hmm. those guys, uh, with the amount they're taxed and all that, they, you know, they take home about half what they make. And then if they don't have another thing, another purpose, another something that moves them like football does, they get stuck just like vets do. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same symptoms, really. And uh, and with the TBI and all the you know the head injury stuff, those, those are very common too, very similar uh, to a lot of guys that have been blown up. With Daesh or ISIS, mm. recently they threatened Tim Kennedy. You know that yeah, is right. I heard about that, yeah. No, I know Green Tim. Ray yeah. in the UFC. Yep. Uh, you're also a pretty high profile. Not that uh, high profile. American. Yeah, I'm sure you are. You're, you're yeah, Green Bay. You're a professional player. football player for a time. And, and, and now you're, you're doing your thing. You're on the red carpet just this week interviewing some top celebrities. So what do you think about this new terrorist threat to individual veterans here in the United States? Are you I mean, concerned? I, I'm not that concerned. I think Tim's response was great, too. It's yeah. really funny. He was just like, come get me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring it. I, like, well, come and take it, right? Yeah, come and take yeah, it. Yeah. Seriously. Malone yeah. Lavey. All that stuff. It's all the same. Yeah, I think it's. I think his response was awesome, and I think that uh, most of those are idle threats. Sure. I mean, and and what are you gonna do if not? Are you gonna quit? Is he gonna quit UFC? <laughs> you know what I mean? No. You just like when they attacked us at nine eleven or uh, in in San France Bernardino. recently or San Bernardino. You can't if you if they win if you let it affect you. It's not the act. They don't win with that act with that terrorist act. That's not the the victory is if you let it change the way you live your life. Yeah. And so as long as we don't do that, we're not going to lose. You know, they're not going to beat us. So I think it's awesome what he did. You know, you watch the news, you hear these things going on every day. And like, I, I even found myself where I just want to like turn things off. You get this perception that like the world is just completely crazy and everything's messed up and everyone's coming to get us. And right. the boogeyman's out there. So when Nate Boyer goes to bed at night and you're sitting there with my what, tent, with yeah, my dime yeah. piece. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or two. Yeah. Whatever. Depends on the night. What are the issues that keep you up? Like, what, what are, are the, the things that are on your mind? Personally, not falling into making sure that I'm not falling into the trap of doing some of these things, especially in the spotlight for myself. You know, sometimes you, 
we're all human. You know what I mean? You, especially when you live in a place like Los Angeles, it's easy to, to, to want that, uh, to want some glorification, I think, or to, or to, to want people to, to expect sometimes that maybe somebody should give you a shot because you went and served your country or whatever. And whenever I start to feel that way, or think that way, I feel guilty and I feel like an asshole because there's people, veterans and active, those that have gone and, and lost their lives that have done and are doing way more than I will ever do and are deserving of so much more than I am. Uh, sometimes, you know, that, that sort of guilt keeps me up, but then also, uh, that turns into accountability for myself and, and, and making sure every day, everything that I'm trying to do has a, another purpose behind it, a, a service element. You know what I mean? Because that's who we are too. Whether you joined because you thought you were too dumb to do anything else or because you grew up watching GI Joe or because you literally wanted to, to serve your country, what you end up doing is serving your country and serving the, the guy on your le left and right. And that's who you become. You become someone who is of service. You know what I mean? That, and, that, and if you lose that component of your life moving forward and it becomes about just you and not something bigger or somebody else, it's easy to feel lost, I think. And sometimes you, it's easy to get wrapped up in that out here and lose sight of that. So sometimes that those kind of things keep me up, you know, where I just feel like, okay, what I did today, was it really progressing the world that I would like to see? Was it really, you know, benefiting somebody else and, and other people? And so that's, that's why before I have time to overthink things, I like to make quick decisions about stuff that may seem too difficult or challenging or whatever. But if it's something that's for other people like this clean water project, you know, I just said yes, because I know something that felt right inside. And then also I know that I'm going to have to stay accountable to that because I'm the type of person that I don't want to say something and not come through. Yeah. I, I hate that. Yeah. I think we're all those kind of, yeah. we're, we're those, that's who we are as, as veterans, you know? Yeah. Those kind of things keep me up. Just, just remembering what I'd said and holding myself to the, to my word. Yeah. yeah holding you. myself accountable. So that's awesome. And that's, that's what veterans for liberty is all about is this second service so to speak. And that's not one of ours either. We, we took that second service. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. But continuing to, and nothing I say is original, <laughs> so, <laughs> but it sounds great. Right? I don't care. Coming yeah. from you. So no, what we want to do is just inspire veterans to continue to be active in their communities, to take leadership roles and to participate in our own political processes and, and, and highlight successful veterans because these days, what we see a lot of is the victimization. You know, I'm a veteran. Give me this. Give me that. But we're not about handouts. We're about handshakes and pulling people up and encouraging them and putting people like yourself in the spotlight, inspiring others. Now, what you're just talking about, you know, keeping you up at night. I had a, a Vietnam veteran I ran into the other day. I was getting a cup of coffee and it was really profound. I didn't expect it. And he was actually homeless. He had his old military issue jacket. He says, how's the world treating you today when I was walking out. It's good. It's good. And he said, but more importantly, how are you treating the world? <laughs> and I just looked at this guy, you know, he was in his, his sixties probably. Probably Vietnam. And it was yeah. so deep, you know, how are you treating the world? Well, there's a guy, you know, living on the street, hanging outside of the coffee shop. Yeah. Thinking about something bigger. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty deep. And, and that's kind of your own ethos is, is what are you doing for the community and, and the world at large? But what we'd like to know is, do you have any advice for other veterans out there or concerned citizens who are listening who just want to make a difference and want to want to find their mission and their purpose? I mean, there's so many there's so many ways to answer that and so many answers. But I, I think about it's another quote. Yeah. The quote is 
I actually tweeted it today at, mm-hmm. at Nate Boyer 37, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't self promote. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but the quote is drum roll. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, we can put that in. No, okay. we're not. It's a drum roll. <laughs> now the quote is do something you love to fight something you hate. And it's really simple. It's really short, but I mean, there's plenty of things either in your personal world or in the world around you that upsets you, you know, and you'd like to see it change. You'd like to see it different. And sometimes a lot of us, I think civilians too, that want to maybe, maybe they want to help veterans or, or how do I do this? Like the answer is do what, do what you love, do what you're good at, you know, do what inspires you. Just have a, a hidden mission behind it. You know what I mean? I love challenges. I love attacking things, going after something that seems impossible or whatever. I love the idea of taking a guy with one leg up a mountain, uh, the, the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. But if I didn't have that mission behind it of in these people living without clean water, you know, these, these people that I think there's 350 million people in Africa that go without clean water every day. And there's more in the world, you know, much more. I, I hate that. You know what I mean? I hate that, that, that I, I hate that I grew up here. Pretty much every American grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth when you look at it compared to the rest of the world. So relative, yeah. You know, I mean, we are the one percenters of the planet. It doesn't matter what political party you are or what you stand for, what you believe in that way. That's the facts. So what, you know, the thing that I'm doing to love, that, that I love is, you know, some sort of a challenge and I'm going to get to go see Tanzania and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. But I'm doing it to fight something that I hate, which is the lack of clean water. That's, that's, that's just mine for now. There's going to be a 50 more before I die. You know what I mean? But I think every, every veteran has that thing. And whether that is something in politics you want to see changed or something as simple as the relationship you, you have or don't have with a family member, doesn't matter. You know, there's a way to, to, to connect those things. And, and, and as long as it's something that you actually want, something that you're actually passionate about, you know, I, I wouldn't want people working with any veteran organization I was working with we're doing it because they just wanted to help veterans. And if it wasn't something they were ex- excited about or inspired to do, they just were doing it to kind of go through the motions. Like this might sound messed up, but if I went to a soup kitchen tomorrow and just, you know, scooped soup all day, if I didn't, if there wasn't something, some element of that, that, that drove me there, I wouldn't be the best guy for that job. You know, I wouldn't be the best guy to serve those people. There's somebody, there is somebody that is that person, you know, whether they, whether they like to make soup or they just love the, that they love just being around people with interesting stories like the guy you met at the coffee shop or whatever it is that's the person that needs to be doing that so whatever it is you're passionate about you can use it you can find a way to use it uh to serve the world you know to get to serve again or whatever would you say second service yeah to do your second service so it's true though i mean like you're you love the law you told me that the other day you love the law and you don't just want to be a lawyer to sound like what a lawyer sounds like on tv and to wear the suit and all that stuff i assume i assume you want to do that to to serve your country in another way and to change the things you want to see changed and exactly i mean that's just exactly it's the same example yeah how it can apply to me right here or Mm -hmm. anybody else for that matter Mm -hmm. i just want to say thanks man yeah thank you thank you for your service yeah thank you for your service (laughs) thank you for your service thank you for your service service. thank Um, you for your second service as well (laughs) yeah no it's 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 great to have you here man and to hear your story and just think about kind of the places that you've been and i know it sounds corny and cliche but it's like I know for us to watch you go through this and kind of take on the, the Tanzania thing. Like for me, I'm interested in that and I want to watch you. You know, here it is in LA and I'm in traffic. Nate's sucking on top of the mountain right now. <laughs> and Blake, Watson, the guy I'm one, going Blake, with. Yeah, exactly. Is, you know, so he'll, he'll probably end up carrying me. Hopefully you know. there's <laughs> others out there that will be thinking about you and, and I appreciate you sharing all that. You know? 
No, thanks. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here, Nate. Yeah, thanks. of course. Uh, if you, I guess, if you want to check out more about MVP, which is in its beginning stages, yeah, spell it out. Yeah, it's vetsandplayers.org. Just spelled out: v-e-t-s-a-n-d-p-l-a-y-e-r-s.org. The Profiles of Liberty podcast is a production of VeteransForLiberty.org. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and share our webpage with your friends. And while you're there, check out our store for some fun new t-shirts and other products that help fund our operation. Thanks for listening.